0: Sal Berry.
1: They can't use his name or his likeness on the marketing or promotion or sales of hockey cards. And
0: Tim Parrish. Who the heck is that guy? He's definitely not a household name in the hobby, that's for sure. This is the Puck Junk Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry. And with me is Tim Parrish, and today we're going to talk about the new 2023-24 MVP hockey card set, the first hockey card set of the season. We're also going to talk about the newly formed Professional Women's Hockey League. We are also going to talk about a couple of other things, like the NHL announcing that it's going to be back in international tournaments or have their players participate in international tournaments. And we're also going to talk about the change at uh, LEAF Trading Cards. Tim, how are you today?
0: Well, I didn't get stuck in traffic on either driving to work or home from work. So that's a good that's a good thing.
1: That's nice to hear, yeah.
0: yeah. It made everything good. On the ride home and the ride to work. Now everything in between there pretty much was posed, but other than that, at least it started off bright and shiny.
1: Okay, well, it started well and ended well, but everything in between was kind of meh.
0: Yeah, I see. So we're good now. We're talking cards, so we're good now.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna talk cards, I'm gonna talk hockey. So I know uh, you want to talk about this. I want to talk about this too but the uh, newly formed Professional Women's Hockey League. Why don't you fill in our listeners on uh, what went down with that?
0: Well, I mean, essentially it was announced that the Professional Women's Hockey League became an official thing. I mean, most people that are paying attention to women's hockey already kind of knew that that was going down because they made the announcement before, if we rewind a little bit, You'll be like, well, I thought there already was a professional women's hockey league. Well, there was. The PHF existed for a while. The league where Upper Deck was going to make cards of. And they had been around for a few years. They established themselves, made a league, made the teams, had players playing, had organizations, expanded even. Uh, They announced in December of 2022 that they were expanding Uh, With additional teams, they added Montreal. They had two more teams on the docket, potentially. Moved all the team ownerships from league to private ownerships. They were getting sponsorships, starting to add more to it. And they announced that the salaries were all going up for the upcoming season. They raised the salary cap. League minimums were going up. Team averages were going up. I mean, most teams, based off of the new salary cap, could afford to pay single individual players up to 125,000 a year, just based off of those new numbers. Well, move it forward. And all of a sudden, PHF is no more. The uh, PWHL, newly formed PWHL, uh, as we're calling it now, absorbed the PHF and basically took them over Bought them, made a whole bunch of drastic announcements, including everybody's fired. And it's it's basically, you're starting over at that point. So I think we talked about it before when it happened and it was kind of like, to me, it seemed like the big bully finally got their way because you have to understand that there were two different factions here and there has been for a long time. The organization that started the PHF used to be the National Women's Hockey League Uh, They changed the name at at one point. I think it was 2015, 2016, something like that. And you've always had these competing women's leagues because there's never been one central league that they put all the focus in, all the talent would go to and try to develop the game that way. Another reason why the NHL has stayed away. But they've always been competing with each other. Most of the national players that play on Team Canada, Team USA – they have their own union, they have their own representation, they shied away from what the PHF was doing.
1: Now why don't um, you explain what that other faction was real quick? The Canadian Women's Hockey League, which well, went Canadian,
0: defunct? The Canadian Women's Hockey League went kind of went defunct a while back. So really there was only the, the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, and then those that were part of the national women's hockey player association which became the phf i know there's Mm -hmm. lots of it's lots of alphabets if it's like we're talking about grading card companies um (laughs) but so you had the two groups a lot of the best international players from team usa and canada as part of the pwhpa and then you had all these other players that decided to you know what We're tired of sitting around and playing these showcases, moving from place to place, and it's just U.S. versus Canada, U.S. versus Canada all the time because there weren't teams and there wasn't a structure and there wasn't really a league to play in. They always dreamt of getting to that point, but they never really did. PHF got up off the ground. They were working. Granted, it wasn't on regular TV like ABC and CBS and whatever, but last year they had television service through TSN and ESPN. They were streaming games on ESPN Plus, you could watch them anytime. They had them all on there. You could watch highlights even. Occasionally they would even talk about it on Sports Center. They got a lot of sponsorship, so that's why they were able to up salary. So now Professional Women's Hockey League absorbs these guys, basically takes over all the all of the teams. Well, I should say, dissolves the teams and then reforms them. So they made the announcement that it's going to be three teams in the US, three teams in Canada. All of the teams are generally the same area as they were in the PHF, except they added Ottawa. That's really the only difference. There are a couple additional teams in the PHF that are no longer there. So you have Boston, uh, the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, the New York City area, and Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa. So those are your, and I say area, because they haven't decided where they're exactly playing. New York area actually includes pretty much New York City, New Jersey, Connecticut. So it's all part of the same group. So they they haven't really decided. So we don't know where home arenas are. We don't know what the team names or the logos or any of that kind of stuff yet. Whether they're going to carry forward the old names, I doubt it, because they're trying to distance themselves from what PHF was doing. But they're going to be playing on normal nhl size rinks. You know, they're going to play in minor league rinks or junior league rinks. Uh, they actually announced that the 2024 season is going to consist of about 24 games per team split between home and away, but they won't be played home and away. They're going to be played at like neutral sites and all of that kind of stuff. And then they're going to have a break for like the world championships and then pick up later on with uh, you know, playoff runs at the end of the year and stuff. So this whole entire league, by the way, is being funded by the guy that owns the Dodgers him and his wife. They're put forth pretty much all the money for this. So the big announcement was made. They kind of detailed how it was going to go. There's going to be 20 teams in the league. They're going to have a draft. You know, people can try out this, that, and the other. But the key to take away from all of this, I think, is whereas the PHF had some really good players, the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association members were made up of most of the Olympic and world championship teams. So if you think about the best players in the world, at least for U S and Canada, that's where they were. So they weren't really playing in the PHF. There were a few, but there weren't like a lot of the household name type players weren't in that group. So now you're going to have all those best, you know, the best on best and, and all of that between the teams. So I was a fan of the PHF. I didn't like the demise, the way it went down. I thought, you know, they were making strides to move forward. But in the grand scheme of things, to get what people want to see, and that's best on best, and they want to see the most skill, and they want to see the best players play. And really, in the, the, the be-all, end-all is to get the NHL to put money behind it and support behind it. And for years, when Gary was asked about it, he would always say, hey, The owners don't want to back multiple leagues. If there was one league, we'd have a different discussion. So now they got it. They got one league. So at some point, maybe there'll be NHL-sponsored teams. Who knows? Kind of like the WNBA is with the NBA. I don't know how much money the NHL will put up, but at least they might put some backing into it, maybe team up with some local teams, you know. Maybe if the Bruins are playing and whatever the Boston team name is are playing Scheduled the same day, they'll do like a matinee for one and the evening game for the other. You buy tickets, you get both. I don't know. We'll see. We don't know the, the the hard details of it. We just know how the general structure of the league is going to be set up.
1: Now, I read a rumor somewhere that the only team name, logo, or identity that the new league is fond of keeping is the Metropolitan Riveters. And if you ask me, I think that's the coolest logo and the coolest name you know and the coolest branding identity for uh, one of the women's hockey teams for those who haven't seen it it's basically if you remember the world war ii poster we can do it aka rosie the riveter that's their logo and it's pretty freaking cool so i would like to see that move forward i mean i know there's like a team called the buttes there's a team called the ice i don't know if the ice caps are still around I, i don't follow women's hockey as much as i would like to
0: i think they were the white caps
1: white caps yeah what did i yeah. say the ice caps yeah sorry that's i'm thinking of the raleigh ice caps which i think is an echl team <laughs> but um okay yes the the white caps and the buttes and uh, i mean you know that's fine uh oh the whale i mean that's not a very flattering name for anybody i mean i no, get it, it-
0: it tied in with Hartford. I know,
1: you know but Whalers people need stuff. to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. I mean, okay, we get it. Yeah, that'll like, never happen. People are more supportive of the Whalers now that the Whalers are long gone than when the Whalers were actually around. So, you know, whatever. Everybody likes a Whaler sweater now. Nobody liked a Whaler sweater when it would have mattered the most, like when the team needed your dollars. No one was rocking the Daryl Ray jersey back then.
0: Well, let's hope this league, however they set it up, gets a little bit more support. Because like I said, I like the PHF. I like what they were doing. I like the way it was set up. And I I watched quite a few games. This has always been the issue. It's it's always been these competing groups. And you know what happens when you, you water down the product. When you give people choices, it just gets spread more and more and more thin until eventually nobody's nobody's on board with any of it because everybody wants to do their own thing right so yeah, at least other... this centralizes it together gets some backing maybe from the nhl gets all the best people in one location hopefully gets good representation and good management i mean they've already talked about how the the management structures are going to be set up with most team staffs so like 11 to 13 people with 20 player rosters you know they put uh, Gina Hefford is the commissioner sorry she's not the commissioner she used to be the commissioner of the Canadian Hockey League she's the senior VP of hockey operations and I don't know if he's the head of the Players Association but he's running the Players Association and that's good old Burkey.
1: Brian they, Burke yes Brian Burke
0: they gave him the job doing that and he's he said i mean i jumped at the chance this is an awesome opportunity and hopefully i'm not in this job that long to where somebody else can come in and take it over from me (laughs) so so they've got decent leadership at the top so we'll see i just kind of feel bad for all of the players that you know work to get to a, a point and now they have to like fight for their lives to try to make a team again without any other options so
1: Right. That was going to happen eventually, because eventually you weren't going to have the best women's hockey players sitting on the sidelines and then only stepping in to play in international tournaments. And I mean, it was kind of a waste on both sides, right? Like that's the how best, it was,
0: though. I it mean, was, that's how but, it was for the longest time.
1: But I, I mean, something had to give. I mean, first of all, there's not enough room for two women's professional hockey leagues right now. Really, it, it
0: it's no, better
1: that... All the concentration is on one league. And, I mean, that's why uh, Gary Bettman didn't want to get involved because he wanted basically for them to sort it out and for the dust to settle. I mean, if there's two competing well, he,
0: leagues. He pinned it on the NHL owners. Like he said that just as a spokesperson for them, they don't want it, so.
1: Well, maybe they didn't. And and he is the spokesperson for the owners. But the thing is, is that if there's two leagues that you want that you want to help, but they're competing with each other. Do you sponsor one and not the other one? Well, then that sends the wrong message. I mean, he supported both of them, but he basically wasn't going to put all of the support into it until they figured it out, and they figured it out. And yeah, it is unfortunate that some of the players are going to have to basically try out for jobs that they already had, and some players might get cut because now that that top-level talent is going to be in this league, that's going to push out the not-so-good players That's just how it happens, right? I mean, it's like that in every league. Yeah, that is unfortunate.
0: Prime Um, rises to the top, just like in anything else. So you'll have your top-tier players, and with the way they have it set up, they can sign quote-unquote superstar players to the more lucrative long-term deals based on how the the collective bargaining agreement is set up for for the players in this particular league setup. Here's my big question to tie this back in with cards. We were expecting to see that PHF set come out from Upper Deck. Do we still see it, or do they shelve it? It's still on most sell sheets for most retailers. It's still listed with a date or tentative date. What what happens? They probably already have it printed. Well, it's a set for
1: last year's players, right?
0: And it is, and I can still see putting it out, but it makes me wonder what type of deal was put in place to dissolve the PHF. Because any comment that anybody makes from the new organization with the PWHL, even if they're not even asking a question about it, they're always pointing the focus to, we don't care what happened in the past. The past is the past. We don't want to focus on you know, the division between the leagues, and we don't want to talk about the other leagues. We're focused on the future. So it kind of makes me wonder that you know, just like we've been talking about over and over again with this whole... Fanatics taking back the exclusives early from Panini. You know, can Panini still put out all those products based off of that agreement? Because I'm sure they've already made some of them. Just like in, here's in this case, we have a PHF branded product that Upper Deck's supposed to put out for a league that's now defunct, and the set still hasn't come out
1: yet. It's kind of funny though, because I think of like a couple of years back. Remember when there was XFL 2.0, and that folded. Just as the football cards were coming out for that, and then what was that other league? Was it the AAF, American Alliance of Football? That sound about right. For
0: sure, because they made, I think Tops made set of those.
1: Well, literally the Tops AAF football cards hit the shelves the same week the league decided to suspend operations. Yeah. I mean, if that's not bad timing or what, like, okay, we're going defunct. Sorry, folks. And like, literally at that time, like the cards were showing up on the market. I mean, just talk about, like, bad timing. So it's funny how, like, you have these leagues that aren't stable.
0: Well, the only they... difference here is Upper Deck had a little bit of runway because the product hadn't come out yet. But, you know, we've talked a million times ad- yeah, they were about talking how long about... they've made things in advance of it being released. So who knows? These, these may have been sitting on pallets for months now.
1: Yeah, but remember, they were talking about this set coming out last season.
0: They were. And they never they did. were.
1: Right. And then they released those three cards that were EPAC exclusives and then, like, nothing after that. So, yeah, should be interesting to see what happens. But I want to shift gears and talk about the NHL throwing its hat back into the international tournament ring, rink, whatever you want to call it. The NHL, you know, okay, from... 1998 to 2014, the National Hockey League would shut down for two-ish weeks and allow its players to participate in the Winter Olympics. And then a lot of times when there wasn't an Olympics, like when it was the off year, when there was a Summer Olympic but not the Winter Olympics, the NHL would have a World Cup of Hockey, which used to be the Canada Cup, then it became the World Cup of Hockey, then they stopped doing that. I mean, they stopped that in what? 2016 was the last World Cup of Hockey. We did a show about that, I remember. Talked about that.
0: Yeah, that was the last World Cup. And they bowed out of the 18 and the 22 Olympics, so.
1: Right. So, I mean, the 18 Olympics, they bowed out of because they were in South Korea. And it seemed like it was just not going to be a great, I don't say deal for the players. I think it had something to do with the insurance of the players. There was like who's insuring the players when they compete internationally. But then also it was like, well, the players are going to be staying three hours away from the rink and they have to get there by like a bullet train. That's going to be like three hours away. And the accommodations for like the league executives and whatnot, were not, not going to be the greatest. So like nobody was really happy about that idea. And then in 2022, they're like, well, it's in China. And China is not a big hockey town. It's not a big hockey country. It's a big country. It's got, Billions of people, but it's just not a big hockey market. So they weren't like, oh, right, we're going to be in China. Let's send our best players to China. Instead, they were just like, nah, we're going to sit this one out, too. We're good. You guys do your thing.
0: Well, more focus on the the Olympics last year was on who's paying for it. That was what was brought up by Batman and Bill Daly every time they were asked about it. Like, look, the Olympic committee has never never offered up a plan to get players compensated and pay for how they're getting from place to place, where they're staying, how they're getting there, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It, it kind of went the same way with the 18. You know, you brought up the insurance thing. That came up, also came up the money. Like, where's the money coming from? Who's paying for this? And that's always been the issue. But now they've kind of put some more focus in front of it. To where they have actually said that essentially starting in 2025, they're going to start a regular rotation of doing Olympics and World Cups. So I guess the way Bill Daly described it is 2025, they'll have an international tournament. 2026, they'll do the Olympics. And then 2028, it'll be the World Cup. 30 will be Olympics, 32, another World Cup, so on and so forth. So the tournament he was talking about, he actually said that it was going to be different from the World Cup. What that is, we don't know. And what that's going to look like, we don't know. But apparently there's all sorts of ideas being thrown around. So I don't know what that's going to look like, but it would certainly be interesting.
1: I'll tell you what I really liked about the 2016 World Cup of Hockey. I liked the Team Europe, which was comprised of players from countries that are not necessarily hockey superpowers, but had a couple of great players from each country. Like you had Zdeno Chara, you had Anjay Kopitar, you had Marian Hossa. Obviously, Sweden has enough Elite level talent, NHL talent, to put out a team, and obviously USA and Canada, and that brings me to my other point. Then they had that team North America, which was like the under, was it the under 23 team?
0: That team was amazing.
1: That team was amazing. I mean, it was just basically, it was just like, okay, if you're under a certain age, okay, you're on this team, right? And I thought that was exciting because you had the young prospects who may or may not have made the international team. Like Connor McDavid would have made the international team no matter what. Austin Matthews would have made Team USA no matter what, whether he was, you know, 17, 18, just barely old enough to play in the NHL or whatever, right? But this allowed a lot of other young players. And I think that was exciting for young viewers. You know what I mean? Like the under 23 team or whatever it was. I mean, that was... That was cool. so I I liked those concepts a lot where it wasn't just clearly drawn on national lines like you know USA, Canada, Russia, yeah, you had those teams but then it's like all right we got a youngster team and we got a mashup team of the best European players who aren't from Sweden or Finland or what would maybe be another one like oh Czech Republic. yeah, I thought those were great ideas and I'd love to see those come back.
0: Well, an interesting thing talking about that Team North America. I mean, look, if we're going back to the Olympics, think about this. We've never seen Connor McDavid on an Olympic team. We've never seen Austin Matthews on an Olympic team. We've never seen McKinnon, Cale McCarr, Marner, Jack Eichel, Jason Robertson. We've never seen any of these guys play for Team USA or Team Canada on an Olympics. So... Not to mention, like, European players. thinking of, like, Swedish players. Victor Hedman, Elias Pettersson, Rasmus Dahlin, guys like that. We haven't seen them in the Olympics yet. So uh, it'll be interesting to be you know who to get that best on best.
1: You know who we did see in the Olympics, though, was uh, Kirill Kaprizov. He did. In 2018, he scored the overtime goal in the gold medal game between Russia and Germany.
0: Yes, he did. Actually,
1: I remember that game because, like, I would have been really happy for the Germans to win because, you know, the Russians, they've done enough winning for all of our lifetimes. Right. They had a damn good team. And it would have been fun to see the underdog German team get the gold medal. And I remember I was playing in a beer league game the night of the gold medal game. And so we're back in the locker room and there are two guys on my team who are from Russia. So one of them has his phone out. And he's watching it on his phone. This is after the game. And so we're like all crowded around his phone, getting ready to go home, but also like watching the game. And then he's like, all right, Russia scored. I'm like, ah, good for Russia, but ah, too bad for the Germans. But yep, good old Kirill Kaprizov. So now imagine a Russian squad in 2026 with Kaprizov and Shostakov and all the other Russian players who really haven't had a chance to play in the Olympics. I mean... Kaprizov's kind of an outlier because he was on that team and, you know, he wasn't in the NHL yet.
0: But we're still dealing with the issue with the IOC not wanting Russian athletes to be like, get any credit whatsoever or participation. So who knows how that's going to play out? This is true. This crap keeps going on, you know, between Russia and Ukraine and all that kind of stuff. You know, who knows at that point? We may not even be out of the woods yet to where their implied sanctions are.
1: So that'll be exciting if that happens. And of course, we'd always want to see a set of cards come out for that. But generally speaking, because it's a short tournament, rosters aren't finalized until closer to the tournament, and it only has a very short window of opportunity to sell, we're most likely not going to see a set of cards for that we might though i mean they did put out world cup of hockey cards in 2016 but they were just like head and shoulder shots they weren't that exciting
0: oh they were goofy
1: they were goofy but and and they were were a lot of floating head cards floating head cards yes they were floating head cards i mean i don't have them i'd collect them if i could find a set of them I don't think they were sold as a set. I think they were sold individually or given away or something. I'm not quite sure, but.
0: I have a stack about an inch and a half high of just random ones. I don't have a whole set, though.
1: Moving on to other trading card news. Brian Gray, the longtime CEO of Leaf Trading Cards, has retired. Sorry, he said he retired. He seems to be enjoying his retirement. He's tweeting about all the things that he's doing. So Gray took over Leaf in 2010. And two of the big accomplishments, at least in my mind, I will admit I don't buy a lot of Leaf trading cards. They're nice looking cards. The nice ones are nice. And the not so nice ones are laughable. Like when they have like a head and shoulder shot of the player and a piece of a jersey and an autograph, they look great. When they show the back of the jersey, or if it's like a piece of a Bobby Orr swatch, but they can't put Bobby Orr's name or his picture, so it'll just be the back of a Bruins jersey with like the number four, and then next to it it'll be like a piece of a Bruins jersey swatch. Those are kind of silly. Okay, but, you know, when they do their cards well, they do their cards really well. And so the two things that they did that were big deals was— They acquired the -the in-the-game trading card company, basically their IP, from Brian Price. So they basically bought in-the-game, and then they were able to add, like, between the pipes and in-the-game and their other properties as part of the Leaf portfolio of hockey cards. So that's one cool thing that they did. And then the other cool thing was that they resurrected... The Pro Set name when nobody else would touch it. I mean, look at all the properties that Upper Deck snapped up, right? Fleer and Skybox and not Don Russ, obviously, although maybe, maybe, but <laughs> could happen, right? But um, it was Leaf who purchased the Pro Set name when nobody else would touch it and brought back. Pro set as Pro Set Memories for 2021 and then 2122. So there's other things too, but to me, those are the two that stand out in my mind. So anyway, so Brian Gray stepped down and Kevin O'Neill is the new CEO of Leaf Trading
0: Cards. And most people that have no clue are like, Kevin O'Neill, who the heck is that guy? He's definitely not a household name in the hobby, that's for sure. He's not like one of the hot button people or the big players that you hear all the time but guy's got experience working with tops upper deck press pass back in the day he's worked with beckett i think his last major job he was director of hobby sales for tops whether or not he could step in and fill brian gray's shoes which i'm not saying it as a pun that they're big shoes i mean they might be big shoes i don't know what size shoes he wears but whether you like him or hate him he's one of those like old school Loud mouth says what he wants and does what he wants, kind of guy, and that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. But he's never been apologetic about the way he is and what he does, so you got to give him that at least. Some people don't like that, especially in today's world where people get their feelings hurt very easily. So he's not everybody's cup of tea, but you have to admit, when he wants something, he goes after it, and he always has and things that he did while he was with Leaf. Because remember, he came from Razor, right? And then once he was able to get the Leaf name, they changed it, or at least became Leaf at some mm-hmm. point or another. I don't know what the whole story is, but it was something like that. So he went after signing people to autograph deals. I mean, Leaf was the one that got Jack Eichel right off the bat. Oh, right yeah. It was Leaf. So there were Jack Eichel cards for his rookie season made by Leaf. And yeah, they make great products. Leaf Pearl, awesome product. The Art of Hockey that came out. Oh, awesome yeah. Awesome product. Lumber. Yeah, Lumber is good. Lumber Kings was good. But at the same time, then there's other things that, again, are kind of different. Like they've taken the Pro Set name and moved it on from just doing hockey cards to doing like everything cards. And that's the base design for pretty much everything they put out. That's uh, new and the on-demand printing. So if you want any cards of all your favorite pickleball players or our favorite PBA bowlers, they're going to look like a pro set card pretty much. So Kevin's got, again, big shoes to fill. I don't know if he'll be able to, it's interesting to see how this is going to evolve because People were kind of on the fence on what was going to happen to Leaf anyway with Fanatics taking over basically everything and still leaving Leaf in the lurch, not having any type of licensing. But now they have the PA licenses too that are becoming more and more inclusive of everyone, so signing away players individually to exclusive licenses may eventually become a thing of the past, especially if they can get deals with these fire associations where everybody's covered. You know, we'll see. I mean, everybody has a choice to do what they want, I guess, when it comes to that kind of thing. But Fanatics at least seems bound to determine to wipe as many of their competition off the face of the planet. So will they take Leaf over too? I don't know. I mean, there's been a lot of things said. People ask Brian all the time about it, and especially now that he's not technically with Leaf, he's like, You'll have to ask them. I don't know anything about it, right? Because lots of people have been like hitting him up on social media and asking him all sorts of questions. To where he's just like, Oh, you gotta ask them, you know, why was this sticker put this way? I don't know, ask them who really signed this because it wasn't Jason Voorhees or whatever that guy's name was.
1: Oh, yeah. The actor Ari, who the played whole, Jason. Yeah. The Ari Lehman thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we'll see. You know, if he's truly stepped away or if he's like just stepping away from Leaf, knowing that maybe something that we don't like, oh, Leaf's going to get bought out by somebody and he's looking for an opportunity to move somewhere else. Maybe well, he it, ends up at one of these places. Could
1: be. I mean, when Brian Price. Sold the in the game IP to Brian Gray and Leaf. Brian Price ended up starting a new company, President's Choice Trading Cards, a year later. Maybe Brian Gray will be back eventually, but probably not right away, regardless. You know, unless
0: he's going to take some time off, but I don't think we've seen the last of him, especially in the hobby.
1: No. So let's talk about. 23-24 MVP hockey cards. So I'll tell you just right off the top of my head, MVP is always a set that I say, I'm not going to buy it this year. And then I ended up buying it. And then I end up buying the factory set when that eventually comes out. So MVP, if you think about it, MVP is like the new victory. Of course, MVP and victory are like, Tying into our previous show, and we talked about 9091 Pro Set. Pro Set cards always came out first. They came out first in 9091. They came out first in 9192. So <laughs> Pro Set was always that, like, yeah, we know it's late summer, but that's okay. We're putting out our set right now. And then Victory was like that, like that late summer set. And now Victory's gone away, other than being inserts in National Hockey Card Day packs. And MVP is our uh, bellwether for the new season. So, MVP Hockey came out early August. It's a 250-card set. 200 base cards, 50 short prints. The short prints are 20 star players. Those are cards numbered 201 through 220. And then 30 rookies. And those are cards numbered 221 to 250. So, what are our costs? A hobby box will cost you about 60 bucks. You get 20 packs, 8 cards per pack, so you get 160 cards total. Retail box, those will cost you 45 bucks a box about. You get 36 packs, 6 cards per pack, so you get 216 cards total. And then retail blasters are uh, 20 bucks, and you get 15 packs, 6 cards per pack, so 90 cards total. And there's two reasons, though, why you'd want to buy a hobby box over the retail blaster or the retail box or the retail packs. And don't even get me started on fat packs because I hate fat packs because, as we've both pointed out, you can open three fat packs and get all the same cards in all three of them, or at least two of them you'll get identical cards because it just the collation and that is always so terrible. But The first reason is, if you're saying, hey, I want to build cards 201 through 250, the short prints, well, you get a short print in every other pack in a hobby box, but you only get one in every four packs in a retail pack. I opened a few blasters, I'll talk about that, but like two of the blasters had four short prints and one of them had three short prints because they're one in every four packs and there's 15 packs in a blaster. And if you're buying a retail box, you're going to get nine because you get one in every four packs and there's 36 packs. And then if you buy a hobby box, you're going to get 10. But the other reason, the big reason why you want to buy a hobby box, do you want to tell them why?
0: Well, you got a couple shots at a Bedard redemption.
1: Right. Well, they're not calling it a Bedard redemption because they can't use his name or his likeness on the marketing or promotion or sales of hockey cards until he officially plays in an NHL game.
0: No, but MVP always has the first pick of the draft as a redemption card, and we already know that that's Connor Bedard. And they also have the redemptions for the rookie sets for either of the conferences. So if you look on secondary market right now, anybody that's pulled number DP1 or the gold version of it, they're wanting between 500 and $1,000 for them.
1: For an MVP card. So For an MVP
0: card, exactly.
1: Han Solo would say to C-3PO, never tell me the odds. Well, I'm going to tell you the odds of pulling these redemption cards. So for the 2023 NHL draft number one pick, you can pull that card once in every 1,250 packs in a hobby pack or an EPAC pack when it comes to EPAC. But on a retail, it's one in every 12,500 packs in a retail or blaster box. So you'd have to open 12,500 retail packs to hope to get this Connor Bedard redemption card or 1,250 hobby packs or e packs to hope to get this card or you have a chance of getting it one in three thousand fat packs but fat chance of getting that in a fat pack
0: (laughs) yeah you're not you're not gonna pull that but i mean if you go right now and you look up just on ebay for instance if you Mm -hmm. look up 23 24 mvp redemption cards Mm -hmm. there's a ton
1: oh and let me just throw this out there there there's a
0: metric ton of them
1: so there's uh the, the gold version as well. You only get the gold version redemption card in hobby and e and that's one in every twelve thousand five hundred in hobby or EPAX. and then the rookie redemption for like central division, like they're like different divisions. Um, uh, I guess you get a couple cards for each of those. Those you are get all the of-
0: designated rookies for each team in that division.
1: Gotcha. So it's like 1 in 400 in Hobby or EPAC or 1 in 4,000 for Retail or Blasters.
0: Right. And, and anybody that's got the first round pick card that's posted, like I said, they want between $500 and $1,000. And anybody that's got the Central Division 1 up already is basically looking for three to 500
1: Is it going to be the same card or different cards, I wonder?
0: They're usually different.
1: So, have any sold yet? Do we have any sold prices?
0: Yeah, sure. $612, $428. $612 is for the Bedard draft, the regular one, not the mm-hmm. gold, the regular one. Mm-hmm. Um, $400 for the Central. Mm-hmm. Uh, $62 for the Pacific, if that kind of gives you a, an idea. Here's another bedard one one for 600 here's one for 550 here's another central division 330 so i mean you can see these numbers for mvp cards are bedard fever has already set it let's put it that way
1: yeah this is proof i mean of it. you have people paying look one time maybe two times but i know most recently uh, whatever Jack Hughes' rookie year was, 1920, not too long ago, I remember pulling the number one draft pick card in a hobby box of MVP, and I redeemed it right away, and eventually Upper Deck sent me a card of Jack Hughes. It was an MVP card, it was Jack Hughes, he's wearing a devil's jersey, and it was like Jack Hughes' first overall pick. And I hung on to it. I mean, I'm like, all right, this is cool. I mean, you know, superstar player. Well, at the time, you know, he was the first overall pick. Now he's, you know, matured into like one of the league's top young stars. And he's kind of a long way to go in his career. I mean, he's yeah, he's
0: like barely 21.
1: Right. He's like barely 21. Right. So it is possible to pull one of these cards. I don't know what the odds are. I feel like Upper Deck is making longer odds for this card because it's conor pedard and if it was one per box people would buy one box and if it was one in 10 boxes people would buy 10 boxes but you make it so astronomical it's almost like another stanley cup hologram only here they're actually telling you what the odds are
0: well i can already tell you people are busting cases of this and you don't usually see case breakers doing mvp like, right it's not on their radar And it's not just the hockey breakers either. It's the breakers that don't know how to pronounce anybody's name. Yes. Because they don't do hockey. And they're breaking it too because they're trying to get in on this deal. Before we move on from that, I found one gold Bedard redemption. Okay. Sorry. First round draft pick redemption. Yes. Air quotes. Air quotes. 23 bids, $1,658.
1: Ooh. For the gold. I think that's going to cool off in. Value,
0: absolutely.
1: You know, once like another twenty of them have been found,
0: absolutely.
1: Yeah. There's
0: no doubt in my mind. All of these numbers will cool off. Oh, here's another one. I had to go to a different page. Fifteen eighty-four. This one went for eighteen hundred. This one went for sixteen hundred.
1: Whoa.
0: Yeah. So there you go. So people are paying north of fifteen hundred dollars. For the gold first round pick, and anywhere between 500 and 800, it seems like, for the regular one. And this guy has not set foot in a regulation or even preseason NHL game yet. I don't doubt that he's a generational player. I don't doubt that he's probably going to be a superstar right out of the gate. I don't doubt any of that. But these prices cannot be sustained. They never are. And this is no different.
1: Yeah. It's, it's MVP, always like for that. Christ's sake.
0: Jeez. Come on, well, people. Calm
1: down. Well, we, we see this with other sports, though, where everybody, you know, they, they glomp on to the first product that comes out. And then once another slightly more desirable product comes out, then they glomp on to that. I mean, we see this in basketball and football. We're like with football, like everybody's like, ah, score a football, score a football. And then like. Panini Optic comes out and then Panini Prism and then Panini Contenders and like all the other products come out that people like better. And then all of a sudden people forget about that first one. I think hockey can be like that, although I think more so hockey, it's almost like people like what they tend to like what they like. And uh meaning like I never see the victory rookies, or excuse me, I never see the MVP rookies spike and then fall. They just never appreciate much to begin with. And let's talk about that. Let's talk about the rookie cards that are actually in this set. So these would be guys who made their debut at the end of the 22-23 season. They debuted too late to be featured in 22-23 extended series. So they had to be Held over. They call them holdover rookies. I call them leftover rookies because they're like Thanksgiving leftovers. Hold them over till the next day or the next beginning of the next season so that your product like MVP that comes out in August, you can have some rookie cards and there's 30 of them. And I got six of them. And the only player I recognize in my little stack of rookie cards here is... Luke Hughes. Yeah, that's exactly it.
0: Seriously? Yeah. I can't believe I guessed it. Yeah. I mean, that's it. a good one to get out of all of them that are that are in that mix. I would definitely say he's top five out of the group that's in there.
1: Yeah, Luke Hughes. So, so if of you, course- you look at
0: that checklist, I mean, Luke Hughes is good, you know, with the Devils. You know, he's got huge upside opportunity to play with his brother. You know, he was 86th in rookie scoring last season with only two points, but he only played in two games. So he's a... You know, he's a PPG guy so Point far, per game. Current. Yeah. Yeah. But he has a lot of upside. That's a good one that's in there. I mean, to talk about a few of the other ones. There's actually more goalies in this mix than I expected. One of them being uh, Yaroslav Askarov, that, mm-hmm. uh, the Predators goalie that's in the farm system. I mean, he's one of the best goalies in the AHL right now. Um, but he was picked 11th overall. So he's a first-round pick in 2020. So... You pick a first-round goalie, they better be good because they don't get picked very often. Goalies get reserved generally for later. But here's a fun fact about him. He's the third Russian goalie ever picked in the first round. Really? Can you name the other two?
1: Uh, Shesterkin. And I don't think Hobby Boulin was a first-round I think he was kind of a long shot uh, Nabokov Evgeny incorrect. Nabokov incorrect?
0: incorrect on both
1: Damn actually. it
0: um, You make me actually, look bad It's actually Samsonov And Andre Vasilevsky So Okay you
1: know. yeah I can see that But come on you gotta admit my guesses were good
0: No those are good guesses
1: I mean Nabakov uh, won Rookie of the Year So yes, he's, he's he not a slouch
0: but the thing about Askarov, and, and this is it, we always go back to this, is what makes a rookie card? Well, in order to get a rookie card, you've got to do what? you got to play in one game. One game, that is all. And Askarov played in one game, that is all. Didn't do so hot, gave up four goals, lost the game. But he got his one game in. And he's ah, been kicking butt in the NHL, So.
1: But for goalies, there's an exception. You don't actually have to play one game. You just have to be on the bench for one game.
0: He actually played. 56 minutes or something like that of the game, because I think they pulled them at the end. So
1: There's like a good number of goalies who have cards who never actually played in an NHL game Yeah, because they were on the bench. And the reason why they did that, the Players Association did that, was because all the card companies wanted to make cards of Rick DiPietro. But by that time... The Players Association stepped in and said, no, someone's got to play in a game in order to be in a set of cards because they got tired of like, well, we're going to have Olympic players and we're going to have junior players and we're going to have prospects who are not drafted and put them in the set of hockey cards because then that divides up the money. You know, like, why don't they put draft pick cards in hockey card sets? Because those draft picks would have to be paid individually because they're not part of the Players Association. And if they're making more money for them to appear in the set than what a player would get, then you have a problem. So card companies wanted to make cards of Ricky Pietro, who was drafted first overall by the Islanders. And so it's like, all right, well, here's the rule then. They got to either play in a game or if they're a goalie, they have to be a backup in the game to get a card. So just want to clarify on that. Cause I think that's a fun rule because you have guys like David Altshuler who had like, 80 cards made when he appeared as a backup for the Carolina Hurricanes, but he never actually played in an NHL game. Think about that. 80 cards never played in a game. David Altshuler, I'll link to my article about him, because just a fascinating story of how you could be the backup and you get a card. Nope, you get like seven dozen cards.
0: Yeah, well, he at least played one, ask her yeah. did. I mean, there's other goalies in in here, too. Like I said, there's a big mix, another hot, hot rookie card is Devin Levi.
1: Glad you brought him up.
0: Yeah, Devin Levi is, I mean, with, with the Sabres, he was picked 212th overall in 2020. And they wholeheartedly expect him to be the next Ryan Miller for that team. And if you look at, you know, what he did, he finished 905 save percentage this season, 294 goals against. Five and two record. Now you look at that and you're like, okay, well, whatever. But knowing that, like a week or two right before that, that he got thrown into battle, he was playing on a college team. That's pretty good for a guy that had no NHL experience going into it. I mean, none, not even no preseason, nothing. I mean, he went from college to here you go, here's here, get in on these seven games, and he did pretty good. So I Devin, that that's a good, I mean, that's definitely a, a good one out of that mix. If you look at just a few of the other ones out there, Sam Bullduke is in there from the Islanders. You know, he didn't play that much last season. He's like 17 games. He did have a goal, a game-winning goal, but uh, let's put it this way. He's a top prospect, and you kind of want to throw a little bit of light to the Islanders once in a while because there's not a whole lot of light you can shine on them. So he's got some potential there. Um, You got Jacob Peltier from the Flames. I mean, He was like 57th in rookie scoring. He had seven goals in 24 games. You got Luke Evangelista. That's a pretty decent one. Uh, He had 15 points last year. Finished the season with like a plus seven. He only played 24 games, so that's pretty decent. Tyson Forster is going to be pretty good for the Flyers, I think. He's in that mix. He had seven points in eight games last year, so. But then you have guys like Yuri Patera from Vegas, you know, another goaltender in a sea of goaltenders. So it's hard to judge a goaltender when there's like five or six in the program. And that's what the Golden Knights have always been. He's a little older guy. He was drafted back at 17. But still, you know, Vegas has traditionally had a cavalcade of rotating goaltenders even going back to when Fleury was there because nobody can ever stay healthy for some reason. I don't think they really get hurt out there. I think they just want a day off so they can go gambling. That's probably what, what's really going on. Matthew Nice is on there too from the Leafs. That's not a go on. Leaf fans are like real high on him. He only played three games last year because he got concussion. So hopefully he's able to return back to form this year. But, but my favorite rookie out of all of these, Billy Sweezy. I don't know if you pulled him out of your boxes. What team? Columbus. Billy Mm -hmm. Sweezy. You talk about a guy that people and players and stuff that should or shouldn't get cards. He's 27, so hardly what we would consider to be a rookie, at least when it comes to age.
1: Doesn't qualify for the Calder Trophy.
0: He went to Yale, so this is like an Ivy League guy. So he's got to be smart, right? But most of his uh, playing time has been with the Cleveland Monsters up this Mm. far in. He sure racks up the PIMs. Let's put it that way. But I just like the name. Billy Sweezy. He sounds like a guy that would be like a career AHL or ECHL guy. Like a that's fan just favorite. The, yeah, that's just like the kind of name that you would you would picture for that guy. Like he's one of the players from Slapshot. You know, easily. Billy Sweezy.
1: Oh, you know,
0: he's the thug from from Yale.
1: Not Sweezy.
0: Yeah, exactly. I just like that name. I think it's funny. But, I mean, there's other guys on there. This is definitely not really a set that you would, like, prospect like the Young Guns would be. But there's a bunch of guys. Those that I named off, maybe a couple other ones.
1: One thing I don't like about MVP is that they don't update it. MVP used to update. Upper Deck used to put out MVP updates where, for a while, it was like a redemption pack. You'd get a redemption card. You'd mail it in. And then you'd get a redemption pack that would have three rookie cards that would update the set. Now, I mean, this was like 15 years ago, but that was when MVP was kind of more of like still a low end product, but it wasn't as cheap as victory when victory was still a thing. But so it lets you update it. My problem with MVP is that you get your 250 cards and that's it. Yeah, there's draft pick cards that you can get redemptions for, but the set doesn't really expand beyond the 250 cards. Like there's no update set. There's no like, here's another 50 rookies from the season, or here's cards of players in New Jersey's. And in fact, these cards come out so far ahead of time and they're produced so far ahead of time that The base cards 1 through 200 don't even have stats on the back. They don't even bother putting stats on them because they're producing these while the previous season is still going on. The only exception is that for the short printed star cards, numbered 201 through 220, those have statistics on the back, which is kind of odd because the rookies don't have statistics on the back, and that's okay because it's always weird to see like, not weird, but okay, played 52 games for Cleveland in the AHL last year. Okay, that's cool. It shows his stats from most recent season. But if a rookie card doesn't have stats on the back, that's forgivable because it's a rookie card. But all these veteran cards, they don't have stats on the back. They got their height, their weight, their birthplace, stuff like that, a little blurb about them. But like I said, the short printed star cards, do have statistics
0: if you have to get out a super early release and you're planning these well advanced ahead of time you're going to have all your base cards already done and printed so you won't have the stats available but if you held back let's say ones that you're not printing as many of let's call them short prints maybe at the tail end like the day the season ends you pull the stats boom you got your short prints print them off done That's
1: exactly it, Stuff them, and
0: that's what they go with. So they only have to deal with the stats on the 30 to 50 that they decide to make as the short print.
1: But here's my other problem, is that the Ice Battles cards this year, so Ice Battles are so you could play like this war-type game. So like on the back of the card, instead of having their height and their weight and stuff like that and a little biographical blurb about them, It'll give basically an overall rating and in some statistics about them. If it's like speed, strength, skill, awareness for skaters or five-hole passing, vision, and recover for goaltenders. But the thing is, is that usually ice battle cards looked different enough. But this year, they look so similar on the front. The only difference is that it says ice battles on it. And it looks so similar on the back. I almost wonder why they just don't make MVP a card game to begin with. Like, I know, I get it. Like, the idea is you give people another parallel, and there are a lot of parallels for this set, but it just seems like this is almost the same card, right? And it's almost the same card on the back. The only difference is, is, well, this one has game statistics for you to play ice battles, right? I don't know. You get, like, one ice battles card per pack. Because I don't play the Ice Battles game because I'm not 10. And if you're 20 or 30 or 50 and you play it, that's fine, too. But I'm just saying, like, it doesn't do anything for me other than take up a spot for a card that I can use to build my base set.
0: I mean, that's fair. You remember Ice Battles replaced the puzzle pieces.
1: Yeah, I like the puzzle pieces better, although I never have completed a puzzle. So
0: I never have either, but I'm still trying. Still trying. And I will continue to try.
1: So, okay, so you got Ice Battles, which is the parallel set that looks almost identical. You got your Silver Scripts. You got your Super Scripts. Let's see, what do we have here? Let me just go down the list here. You have Gold Scripts, which are actually Blaster Box exclusive, which I like because it gives you incentive to buy Blaster Boxes. And I actually think the Blaster Boxes are pretty good value for the bunny. I mean, you get 15 packs, you get six cards per pack. I mean, you get 90 cards for like 20 bucks. I could live with that.
0: You I know, heard and they're also going to be shoved onto the EPAC ones too,
1: the gold ones.
0: Yes, I don't know if that's hundred percent correct, but that's what I heard.
1: Okay, then you got silver script, superscripts which are numbered out of twenty-five, superscript black which are numbered out of five, the ice battles which I already mentioned, and then the printing plates which you are their own special thing—the cyan, the yellow, the magenta, the black printing plate cards for MVP—and then you have inserts. And actually, you know what? This is a really short list of inserts. You got the 20th it has been an- the
0: last few years.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not like ICE with the 60 different insert sets.
0: Yeah, it's always been more minimal. They'll do the, whatever the main parallel is, which is usually an anniversary set, and then mm-hmm. maybe three or four other things.
1: So I'll tell you what those other things are. You got the 20th anniversary set, and then there's also a gold script and also a superscript version of those. You have alternate threads and alternate threads gold, which picture three players wearing a team's alternate or, like, special jersey. You do have the possibility of getting an autograph. Those are 1 in 800 hobby packs or 1 in 800 e-packs.
0: Those are the magenta ones, right? Yes. If only you have- you ever pulled one of those one time and it was in an e-pack. Really? Yes.
1: Do you remember who it was? Um, nope. Ah, That good, huh? Uh,
0: I'd have to think about it for a minute, but yeah, no, I don't remember.
1: There are colors and contours, which are numbered out of 250. There's also green colors and contours, which are numbered out of 20, and purple colors and contours, which are numbered out of three. There's stars of the rink and stars of the rink gold, which are printed on shiny foil so are the alternate threads cards but i'm saving my favorite for last and that is the ice reps. i
0: knew that was going to be your favorite
1: yes well because i like mascot cards for a lot of reasons but what's cool about this year you know what they could have done just a mascot card like they did last year but upper deck did something unique this time they said you know what instead of just picturing a mascot Let's picture a mascot with that team's superstar. And so, like, I got one of Sidney Crosby and Iceberg. I got another one of Kyle Okposo and Sabretooth. I got another one of Gabriel Landeskog and Bernie. I got another one of Patrice Bergeron. he also enjoy his retirement and Blades. Got one of Bo Horvat and Finn and one of Jared Spurgeon and Nordy. So, wow, you got a lot of those. And that's the thing is that you get these two per blaster and I like that. And I'll tell you why, because kids like mascots, kids like the mascot cards and kids can also afford blaster boxes or parents are willing to buy their kids a blaster box. It's a little easier to convince your parents to buy you a blaster box than a hobby box, right? Especially if you're like at target or Walmart, you see it, it's 20 bucks. Okay. I think it's really nice that you get two per box. So there are gold and silver versions of these mascot cards, and I got a couple of each. And so I like the fact that they're easier to pull. I mean, look, mascot cards are popular. I'll tell you this right now. At the National, practically every mascot card I had for sale at my booth sold not only did the mascot cards that I have sold, but I even grabbed some Tops stickers of mascots that I had duplicates of and threw them out in my uh, case for like a couple bucks each. Those also sold. I mean, I had one guy come, I had like six or seven mascot cards left and he just said, I'll buy them all. Or kids would look and be like, oh, that's only five bucks. Can I have it? You know what I mean? And that's the thing is that like, The mascot cards are super popular, so I'm actually happy that Upper Deck made these a little bit easier to acquire, not only because they have mascots on them, but they also have players that people collect on them, like Sidney Crosby.
0: So how much do you think I can get for my clear-cut Young Gun Bowie card? Oh! It's the clear-cut Young Gun.
1: That'd be a good one to have, actually. To the right person, it's a valuable card.
0: I pulled that out of, what was that, Series 2, yeah.
1: Right, yeah. So I do like some of these inserts. Like, I'll tell you this. I like the design of the base cards. And I even don't mind the fact that they don't have statistics because they have to rush these to market. I get it. So you're not going to have the stats, and that's fine. I like the shiny cards. I think if you're trying to make a set, that's affordable for kids. I remember one year you went on a ranch. like, it's not about the kids. Kids aren't collecting cards, but now they are kind of collecting cards. But they're not collecting these cards necessarily. They're walking around with their little bitty bro cases and hawking, you know, $2,000 Connor McDavid cards and not 50 cent MVP cards.
0: That is very correct, yes.
1: But at the same time, if you're a kid who's starting out, Or even if you just like collecting cards for collecting, I talked to a lot of kids at the National as well who weren't just trying to, like, flip cards. They just liked buying cards. They liked hockey cards. I think that having kind of silly, fun, shiny cards that are kind of, like, 90s-esque is great for a product like MVP. Like, you got to make these cards colorful Got to make these cards fun. You have one game card per pack that could be played with, that are meant to be played with. And then you have the mascot cards, which aren't too difficult to pull. So even though I say to myself every year, I'm not going to buy MVP, I end up buying it and building it. And then I end up buying the retail box set. Now, by the way, there will probably be a retail box set that comes out at the end of the year, like they've done the last five, six years maybe. And those will have different colored borders to differentiate from the ones that you get in the packs. So the pack-pulled cards, the e-pack, the hobby packs, and the retail packs and the blaster packs, they're all going to have the same types of cards. But the box set, those cards will have different borders. So
0: you and could technically... pack will have one too. It so usually could, has the green.
1: So you could technically buy both of them and they'd be different sets.
0: Technically, yes, you're correct.
1: So I don't know if you had a chance to peruse any of the cards online. Do you have any thoughts on the design? I know you gave a lot of feedback about the rookies in this set.
0: What do you go after in this if it's not that you're looking for rookies or you're looking for the first set of the year? Here's really what it boils down to. I collect this set and I build this set every year because A, it's attainable and B, I think it's fun. Because I like to look back on it and say, hey, this is the first set of the year. Here's the guys that are in it. Now, of course, you don't see the guys in the new jerseys, their new uniforms with their new teams. You don't see a lot of that because of the fact that it's held over from where it stood at the end of last season. And I'm okay with that. But I think because this is such an attainable set, I enjoy trying to build it and put it together because I don't have to spend a billion dollars to do so know a few boxes and i'm generally pretty close and i can pick up stuff later on because nine times out of ten once this hits epac a lot of those inserts can be obtained for fairly cheap um if you're going to buy them individually so the base card design i don't know kind of getting a little stale i think they need to do something
1: i feel like this one's different enough from the previous couple of years that i actually like it I feel like there were a couple of years that MVP looked too similar to each other,
0: but not this time.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've
0: gone we've got, went away from like the white border shield in the background. You yeah. can't tell the difference between them anymore.
1: Yeah. We've,
0: we've gone away from that for a while, but I think the overall card design, where it, it's kind of like squeeze the border in from the top to the bottom and whatever that design is, and then had the player there. It's like an oval. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I feel like it's becoming like that's what it is. If that is what it is, then that's fine. I know last year was a little more boxy, but it was still top border, bottom border. If you go back and look at, you know, how the 21 22 set was set up, that base design was. Very close to what 2022 was only instead of having like jaggedy kind of edges, it had more rounded edges. So it's kind of within that same thing. And I think what Upper Deck is kind of doing is kind of keeping it similar. So I get it, but uh, I feel like it needs to move away from that. That overall thing to spice it up a little bit. (laughs) It probably won't, because, again, this is the base set. This is the entry-level one, if there is such a thing. And, you know, it is what it is. But highly attainable set, that's the thing. And that's what draws me to it, because, you know, I don't chase after the cup. I don't buy boxes of the cup anymore. Right. I did once. Peachy, I like it. It's big. It's cheap. Regular flagship. It's big, it's daunting, it's a challenge. It's not really that cheap anymore. Most of the other stuff, it's not cheap. Almost every other set that they come out with, SP, not cheap. You know, Black Diamond, never cheap anymore. You know, Ultimate, Premier, any of those, none of those are cheap. Even though Peachy Platinum is getting to the point where it's kind of like, price goes up, you get less cards. At least with MVP, You get a big variety of what's in there. You get your base cards. You get your short prints. You get your parallels. You get your inserts. And you get shots at some cool stuff. There's autographs in there. They're hard to find, but they're in there. And those redemptions, they're normally pretty decent. This year, fortunately, you have a big chase. So I think that's what's driving the product right now is everybody's looking for those those redemption cards. So... It'll be interesting to see how many of them are actually out there, because you think of um, if, let's say that gold one is one out of would you say twelve thousand packs or something like that? Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So if it's one out of twelve thousand packs, how many are actually gonna appear? That'll be what's what's interesting, because I don't think any of those are numbered. I don't think they're serial numbered.
1: No, I don't believe they are. You're right though about the set being actually very easy to put together. You just basically need this strategy and I'll just outline it again what you said. You buy your packs whether you buy hobby packs or retail packs, blaster packs or e-packs although maybe not e-packs right away because you want to build the base set. So the base set you need the base cards. So you, you buy your packs, you get your base cards, you get your handful of short prints Then you just go on EPAC and then you pick up the rest of the short prints for relatively cheap. And actually, that's what I did. For last year, I bought a hobby box. Actually, I bought a couple of hobby boxes. And I think I bought some retail boxes. And then I think somebody gave me some cards. I don't know. I ended up with the whole mess of them. And so base set was no problem. And I got a lot of the short prints. But then, of course, I got a lot of doubles of the short prints because that's just how it happens sometimes. But then, like, on my most recent COMC order, I went to check out my cards because the MVP short prints will end up on EPAC. MVP will be sold on EPAC, and then those short prints will be physical cards, and a lot of them get transferred to COMC to get sold. So then I was picking up probably, like, the last 10 cards that I needed for, like, maybe 30 to 50 cents each. I don't think I paid more than that. So I think for like less than $5, I was able to finish my short print set. And then it's done. And then it feels good. You know what I mean? So it is a nice set to put together and it's not too hard to put together.
0: No, it absolutely isn't. You can find the stuff. Usually, like you said, Comp C is a good place to go for it. And that's probably what I'll end up doing like I do every year. I'm good for two or three boxes, though, most of the time.
1: It's fun to open, and, you know, I bought a few blasters. I'll probably buy a hobby box and maybe a few more blasters, finish out my base set, and then pick off the short prints when they show up on Com C. Oh,
0: I forgot to ask. How many of the anniversary ones do you get?
1: I got one per blaster
0: box. One per blaster? Okay. hmm I like yeah. those designs, by the way. Because they brought back that MVP talent design from, like, the early 2000s. I always tell were- myself I'm going to collect the anniversary ones for each year, and then I never do. I tell yeah. myself, but then I don't.
1: Yeah, I, I do, too. I kind of gave up on that. Like, I tried doing that in 2021, and then I just didn't. There are more than I wanted to collect, and I just said, ah, oh, screw it. You know what? Just stick with the base set. And it, even, like, last year, like, with the domains inserts, I really like the domains inserts. But I never got around to finishing that. I should probably go and pick those up on Com C.
0: Those those... are cheap on there because that's where I finished mine from.
1: And then the mascots will probably be cheap. And that's good, too, because like I said, there's a demand for mascot cards. And when you have like Bowie being a young gun or you have mascots in upper deck canvas that are super short prints, that makes it hard for people. So... Making them a little more attainable is a nice touch.
0: I did the mascots a couple of years ago. Most yeah. of mine came from Epac though, if you can believe that. Were
1: they the the rounded corner ones that look like game cards? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Most
0: of those came from there. I only built the base ones though. I didn't do the whatever they called them, the shiny parallel speckled ones. I didn't do those.
1: Right. Yeah. I think those are from last year.
0: Whatever year it was. I can't yeah. remember anymore.
1: Yeah. This all kind of blurs together. It does. All right, I think we should call this one a show. It's a show. It's a show. Well, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. You can follow us on social media. I'm at Puck Junk. Tim is at the Real DFG. Also, you can subscribe to the Puck Junk newsletter at puckjunk.com/newsletter. And you could support this podcast by purchasing a shirt at the Puck Junk Online Shop at shop.puckjunk.com. And until next time, collect what you like.
0: For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.